Thank you for listening to the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Consider supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com, subscribing, and sharing this message with your friends. God bless you. So I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Everybody say your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. But it was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. My message today, I trust for your edification, is entitled, Mary's Little Lamb, the Message of the Manger. Mary's Little Lamb, the Message of the Manger, and you may be seated. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. And everywhere his blood applied, our sins were sure to go. The 18th century English poet and hymn writer, William Cowper, composed the beautiful hymn, and I quote the lyrics, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power, till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more, are safe to sin no more, are safe to sin no more, till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. And I tell you today that if you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and are baptized by immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and in the likeness of his resurrection, as Paul said, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then you have obeyed the gospel and your sins have been radically dealt with by the power of the Lamb of God. You see, my friends, you have a problem. You really do. I've been wanting to tell you that for a long time. In fact, turn to somebody right now. Just have a little therapeutic moment and say, you know, you've really got a problem. <laughs> Didn't that feel good? I was like, oh, finally. <laughs> Actually, we all have a problem. Our problem is a sin problem. It's a big problem. Sin is the problem of every human being ever been born. It's the human condition. You can't shake it. 
You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. You have to face it. The big problem with sin is it has consequences. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Sin has a payoff and it's a big payoff. And if you don't get it dealt with and if you don't confront it, and if you don't make Jesus your Lord and confess him as your savior and have his blood applied to your life, then Christmas means nothing. And it accomplishes nothing. Sin is primarily a human problem, but it also presented, if I could say it this way, a problem for God. Because as a just and a righteous God, his default is to judge and give mercy. The Bible says his anger is only for a moment, but his mercy is for a lifetime. So God's default is to redeem, to restore, to remove judgment, to give mercy. But he has always required a mechanism to accomplish this for us. I want to say to you today that Nobody in this room or in this world who has ever lived or who is living now wants to die without first dealing with the sin problem. Nobody wants to meet God without doing something with the allotted days. And one of those days needs to discover the grace of God and his suffering and his vibrant abundant life. So the message of the manger is that there is still a way in that manger. There is a mechanism in place that if we will take advantage of it, it remedies our sin problem once and for all. For 2000 years, perhaps beginning with the prolific altar builder, Abraham, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs atoned for the sins of mankind. Blood flowed at the brazen altar of the tabernacle and eventually the temple. But this plan was insufficient and eventually rendered ineffective. And it came to a dramatic end. God's remedy for mankind's sin problem in the Old Testament was the sacrifice of innocent animals for guilty human beings. In fact, we learned that even in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, disobeyed God, God took some animal or animals, shed their blood, and then covered Adam and Eve's shame and humility with the skins of these animals. So the principle there is that the innocent dies for the guilty. And we thank the Lord for that. Second Chronicles 36, 16 says that the wrath of God rose against his people until there was no remedy. Wouldn't that be a horrible state to go to the doctor having a disease and the doctor says, we have no cure. We have no remedy. We have nothing. Your sickness is terminal. There's nothing we can do for you. And this is where humanity found themselves. There was no remedy because gallons and streams and rivers of blood could not remedy the sin problem. We needed something else. We needed something new. We needed something greater. 
We needed something more powerful. We needed a once and for all sacrifice of redemption so that there would have to be no more sacrifice for sin. We needed a new kind of lamb, a more powerful lamb, a superior lamb, a supreme lamb, a sort of super lamb. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Can you say amen to the word? If God has purged your conscience from dead works, then we should be serving the living God the message of Christmas is that Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the power of the message is that it gives us the ability, the God-given divine ability to do what pleases Him and to serve Him and to live for Him and to obey His Word. That is the joy. That is the joy of Christmas. John the Baptist announced Jesus Christ as being the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. What a declaration. What a powerful statement. Then John says, there's one among you. There's one among you. Jesus had been there listening to John at the Jordan. And John says, there's one here. <laughs> a super lamb. A supreme lamb. He's among you. Probably people looked around. Maybe somebody's eyes fell on this unattractive. The Bible says he was. There was no comeliness that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't handsome. Sorry, ladies. He wasn't handsome. Five foot ten. Maybe nine and a half. 165 pound rabbi from a nondescript village called Nazareth. But within him was everything needed to remedy our problem. He was the most significant, strategic, necessary, and priceless human being in the world of his day. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If I would have been in authority and I knew who Jesus was and what we needed out of him, I would have protected him like Fort Knox. I'd have got the secret service. They'd had AK-47s, Uzis, hand grenades, knives, everything. It, Jesus couldn't have moved an inch without six foot four, 220, about 50 of them around Jesus protecting him. But he was vulnerable. He walked among us. Born to humble Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem in a stable, wrapped in swaddling cloths, 
laid in a animal feeder trough. We needed his life. We needed his model. We needed his example. We needed his words. We needed his teachings. We needed his disciple-making model. But what we needed most of all was the blood that flowed in Emmanuel's veins. Emmanuel being interpreted, God with us. I have a picture of a cup. And I want you to just get this. A six-pound newborn baby has about one cup of blood. A six-pound baby. Little Ezra was seven pounds. One cup of blood in his little body. If Jesus was six pounds in Joseph and Mary's arms was enough blood. Now an adult perhaps has a gallon and a half of blood. But that little baby comes into this world is born with a cup of blood. And it was still enough for your sins and yours. And that whole section over there. And even, I can't even see you people over there. (laughs) Because the lights are so bright up here and dark out there. But it was enough. Turn to somebody and say, it was enough. It was enough. His blood was enough. Can I tell you something? One drop (laughs) was enough for the sins of the world. Talk about a super lamb. No lamb born of a you could provide the power that the lamb born of Mary provided for us. The redemption of the past, the present, and the future world depended on the purity, the sinlessness of this baby's life and therefore his blood. Because the Bible says the life is in the blood. But the truth is that his blood was so powerful that it could radically redeem every one of us. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 7, 1, 18 again. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And I want to talk about that. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses value, but with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. If you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ through your obedience to his gospel, then I have good news for you. I don't care who your ancestors are. If Jesus Christ is your spiritual ancestor, his blood is dominant and it wipes out all the junk, all the stuff, all the pain. (laughs) This is why Christmas can be a time of peace for you. This is why Christmas can be a time of healing and redemption for you. Because when we become children of God, By obeying the gospel, we enter a new bloodline. We enter a new ancestry. Yes, we do. 
Oh, yes, we do. In horse racing, it's common for spectators to place their bets on a horse, but not just any good-looking horse. Informed bettors, not that I would know personally, but because of my much reading, I discovered that informed bettors make their wagers on horses based on their bloodline. Or if I could say it, they bet on the blood. I'm fixing to preach right now. <laughs> they bet on the blood. Now, not that you care, but it's sort of interesting that nearly all of the world's 500,000 thoroughbred racehorses descend from only 28 ancestors who were born in the 18th and 19th centuries. That's amazing. But according to one genetic study, 95% of all male thoroughbreds can be traced back to one super stud stallion. That's more info than you probably wanted. But now you know. Bloodline matters. Bloodline matters. In Jesus Christ, we do not have a super stud stallion, but we have a supreme lamb. And not 95%, but 100% of all salvations that have occurred in the last 2,000 years can genetically and theologically be traced back to one super lamb. <clears throat> Bloodline matters. We don't bet on the blood, but we are. We don't bet on the blood, but we plead the blood. We don't bet on the blood, but I bet to a woman whose husband died, any woman, not in particular, but if her husband died and left her with no children, then the kinsman redeemer was bound to marry her and give her a child. Such was the case when Naomi's son, Malon, while exiled in Moab, died while married to the Moabitess named Ruth. But Ruth had no child, so she was a widow and not a mother. Ruth claved to her mother-in-law, Naomi, when she announced her commitment to return to Bethlehem. Through a series of brave events, Ruth made herself known to her deceased husband's kinsman redeemer, whose name was Boaz, who then took her as his wife. It's a great story. Boaz and Ruth became the parents of Obed, the grandparents of Jesse, and the great-grandparents of David, the king of Israel. Jesus was the root and the offspring of David. A primary qualification of a kinsman redeemer by definition is that the kinsman had to be a blood relative, but not only that, the kinsman redeemer had to pay a price to redeem what was in danger of becoming lost to the surviving relative and future generations. 
So in Boaz's case, he purchased the property belonging to Naomi's husband, Malon's father. Just listen, just three more minutes. Ruth chapter four, verse nine. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite window of Malon to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and the people standing at the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So here's the point. Three things had to happen for a kinsman redeemer. One, the kinsman redeemer, the candidate, had to be a near relative. Secondly, the candidate must have the ability or the wherewithal to perform the redemption. And it fell to to Boaz because the first one in line could not do it. He didn't have the price to do it. And thirdly, the candidate must pay the redemption price in full. So my friends, my brothers, my sisters, the hope of Christmas is that you have a kinsman redeemer. Hebrews calls Jesus our brother. He's our brother. He became one of us. God did not send someone else to save the world. He came himself. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And one of these days, he's going to present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So the message of Christmas today is that there is a super lamb in the manger who grew to 33 and a half years old, who did the work of a high priest and a sacrificial lamb. He was the sacrifice. He was the sacrificer. He was the sacrificee. He did it all at Calvary when he suffered and bled and died for us. And now through our faith and our hope in him, we have life everlasting. I want to just say one last thing. Would you stand with me? Jesus Christ is still the answer for the world today. And I'm going to invite the ushers to now begin to pass out the lights with as little commotion as possible. If you could please multitask right now and listen and receive your light. Don't turn it on yet, please. There's a little switch on the bottom of it. Just hold on to it, please. And please listen. Let's do this as quietly as possible. I want to get you out of here as quickly as possible. So please help us. In our culture today, in our world, politicians and the devil, listen to me, politicians and Satan do their best to divide us. Can I have a better amen right there? They create class and race envy. It's the work of the devil. Jesus Christ is the great uniter. 
In fact, I could make an argument today that after the flood, there's one family in the whole world. There's still one race and one language, one family. Noah and his wife and three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And I could argue today that all races go back to the Hamites, the Shemites, and the Jephites, Japhethites. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ is a God, a Savior, not for the Jews, for the whole world. He has in his blood, the blood of every nation. <laughs> Somebody should have took off and ran the aisles right there. No, wait, this is a tender Christmas. Tender Christmas. The super lamb. The word nations in the scripture is ethnos, from which we get ethnicity. An ethnic group is a community of persons sharing the same ancestry and participating in the same culture. The Jesus of Christmas is the answer to the confusion and the chaos and the hate among the races today. Jesus is still the answer. He's not just a man with Jewish blood. He has the blood of all people. Listen, blood is blood. Blood is blood. It doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, red, brown, or yellow. The blood of Jesus is red and it washes the color line and it puts us all in the same genealogy and in the same ancestry. In fact, Peter said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Listen to this, a holy nation. A holy ethnos. <laughs> when you come to Jesus Christ, I'm not saying you're not a cultural person or we never celebrate your culture, but I'm telling you that the culture of Jesus Christ transcends my, my European American culture. I am no longer, you know, half German and Dutch and Welsh and, and English and Scotch and whatever else I am. Amen. A potpourri. Praise God. I'm a redeemed child of God. My name is Stan Gleason Jesus. Because <laughs> I took on his name. The church is the super nation. I'm not preaching like Nazism today. The church is the super nation. Because of our Savior. And his special work on the cross. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greek. That's really all the Bible says about, you know, ethnicity. You're Jewish or Greek or Jew or Gentile, really. Whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. Listen to Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh of hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope 
and without God in this world. That's where you were before Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle law of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance. Listen to this. So as to create in himself one new man from the two. We're a new nation. Welcome to the new nation. Welcome to the new man. Welcome to the new creature that is in Christ Jesus. And it's only through the sacrificial blood and the life of Jesus Christ.